Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Look Closer, the found fiction podcast. If you've never listened before, this show is a creative search for inspiration. In every edition, I'll meet up with a different guest to take a journey around their neighbourhood and explore the places, people and communities around them, unlocking the things that inspire them as creative thinkers and the makers of great things. This time I went to East End Park in Leeds to meet creative professional Taiwo Oganyinka, one of the most prolific performance poets in the spoken word scene. Taiwo stages workshops and runs Say It With Your Chest, a well-known creative collective in Leeds. No, I'm just waiting for someone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, All right. do it. Well, I'm doing an interview with some guy who I'm waiting for now, so oh, right. we're just going to be walking around. Where's it going on YouTube? Oh, well, it'll be on podcasts. It'll be like on Apple Podcasts, oh, Spotify, podcast. stuff. Bye. So you do podcasts? Yeah, that's it. Oh, right. That's it. What's it called? Uh, it's called Look Closer. We just kind of go around looking, looking for like ideas and stories and stuff. Is it a Leeds thing or? Well, kind of did it in Manchester as well. Leeds, Manchester, just across the north, oh. north really, yeah. If I Google it, will I find it? If you put like, if you put Look Closer, found fiction, podcast, you'll be able to find it that way. Thanks, I'll check you out, yeah. Oh, nice one, nice one. Nice, really nice, isn't it? Yeah, nice one. Really nice, yeah, yeah. Thanks. So look. on just like artistic people? Yeah, pretty much, That's so far, yeah. yeah. Just like people who, yeah, look for inspiration and look for ideas and stories and stuff, so we take them around their community, their yeah. neighborhoods and stuff. So we're going around like East End and stuff today. So uh, we'll be going off that way, I think. Prepared what you're going to talk about? No, it's no, it's totally just spontaneous. It's just like I just ask them questions, and then we don't know what we'll find on the way. So, oh, okay. so you let it go. Organic. So it's just like an interview format, I guess. It's like yeah, yeah. it's just a, me asking questions, them answering questions, and then just commenting on what we see and stuff. Nice to <laughs> chat, anyway. Nice to chat. Yeah, man. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, not bad, thanks. How are you? Good, yeah. Just chatting to a few folk about, about podcasts and about what we would, I was doing here because I think it looks like I'm just going to sort of bother people and ask for their views on stuff. Oh, some, right. some guy was like, oh, are you from Leeds Live? Like, oh, right. Asking for their views on, like, bus services <laughs> in the north. <laughs> yeah, I'll just play it along. Might be a good soundbite. I quite like the people that you chat to when you're just waiting for people. Yeah. Like you've got like a mutual thing in common when you're just waiting for someone to show up. Yeah, you're both in a state of um, limbo in a way. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, definitely. Just waiting. Let us know a bit about where we are and where we're going today. Cool. Um, so we are at the sort of the old Quarry Hill area, um, almost towards the bus stop. It's something that you know, I've done like almost a decade, really. Um, going to college, going to uni when I lived with my parents yeah. and just so it's my main link from the inner city where I sort of grew up to So you know town. it really well then? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty, pretty, familiar, pretty comfortable with it um, and of course it's changed quite a lot like when I first 
when we first moved to Eastern Park, um, most of it was like a building site. Um, the theatre was there, uh, Lee City College, I don't recall if it was there. Um, Leeds Playhouse, which was West Yorkshire Playhouse, uh -huh. Phoenix Dance Theatre that was there. Um, uh, wardrobe was there. Um, so it's changed quite a lot. Also, it's changed in terms of like new, new types of shops and hospitality venues, or is it just changed in a bigger way than that? Um, it's changed in that first way, and that has also led to it changing in a bigger way. Um, uh -huh. There's a lot of regeneration happening in these generally. Um, I've worked in um, the third section in Leeds for quite a bit of time, um, either through the union or voluntary action Leeds, which is now doing good leads. So working in the third sector, I've had a lot of exposure and research oh, yeah. to regeneration in Leeds. Um, let's go left here. Yeah. To regeneration in Leeds. And that has exposed me to um, a lot of understanding about the impacts of regeneration. So on the one hand, while all this area was social housing, and now it's like high-end bookshops and stuff like this, bookshop at a cafe, um, I, even I can barely afford anything in there. DC College, yeah, that's cool, but all the students, I'm not blaming students for all, so, you know, all the students there, they really want to make it something that keeps, I suppose they want to make it an area that keeps the students on campus, so to speak. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of pseudo art sector, a self-enclosed sort of art sector in Leeds, I suppose. Over the years, walking down through this area, thinking about how this area exists, even without human interaction, it's just different. You know, you know, social housing exists in a different way to like an art sector or an education sector, in terms mm. of the buildings, the landscape, the the essence of the area, and it exists at a cocoon before it existed as a butterfly. It's not like you know, it's a caterpillar, then it's a butterfly, you know, it exists in between. And it's also in that state of limbo, I suppose, like you when you were waiting for me. Kind of. Um, I didn't realise I was part, <laughs> part of that as well, yeah. Yeah, everything, everything exists in a certain way, yeah. even when it's transforming, I suppose. Um, true, true. But yeah, I just, I, 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 like, I like this area. I've always sort of really had a special connection to it. Um, even when it was in a period of transformation in a interlude so to speak it was always a personal interlude for me as well because it was a place I passed during my many journeys to work um, college and uni um, you can see it's kind of been here a while all these structures yeah. like the bridge that we're just walking by right yeah. now with like cracked paint it kind of looks fossilized yeah yeah I can also see sort of the extent to which um, the council cared about development um, <laughs> Yeah. You know, as soon as you cross over this road, now it's like we're in a different part of these. Um, you know, we can see all the construction yeah. still happening, all the wow. cranes and stuff. True, yeah. So we, so we were facing towards, I guess, Richmond Hill, Saxton Gardens, and then we turn around and there's like scaffolding and cranes everywhere. Yeah. And there's a yeah. big contrast in where the transition's now happening. Yeah. And there's always been like building and regeneration on that area. But it just never spills over never. across Marsh Lane. Did you did you used to live in one of those? My girlfriend did. Well, she was kind of back there a bit. It was like the, where there's that big 
chimney thing. Oh, yeah. It was in that. It was like an old mill. Mm. So they converted a load of old mills into flats. This uh, this is kind of like was always here. I think it's like social housing, but yeah. then they just put loads of cladding on it and mm. doubled the price of rent. And now there's professionals in there. Yeah, they took down the community think, center that was here yeah, as well. I think there's a there's a contrast here because I think that that Saxton, the one on the left, mm. was kind of like this was like Saxton Gardens, mm. which is like these two. Yeah. And now it's kind of got a new yeah. new identity completely. Yeah, new look. Yeah. And probably new new tenants, you know. Because yeah. Of it. Uh, Saxton Gardens was a probably still is for the most part a very working class area. Um, I remember growing up, a lot of my friends. Um, lived in Saxon Gardens from school. Um, there's a guy called Priestley. He lived in Saxon Gardens. That, you know, he was just sort of like East Lee's born and bred kind of kid. Uh-huh. Um, that just sort of was just about. I knew it was, it was a lovely guy, but you know he was working class. I was on the border of working class as well, though growing up in Eastern Park. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I just found it interesting. I just, I, I mean, regeneration is never something that. Regeneration is treated as something that is, you know, for the benefit and for the greater good. And I can see the sort of logic behind it, like, you know, things need to move into the future, so to speak. But if you leave the people behind and you move the buildings into the future, then, you know, what is actually, what is actually moving? Are we, are we just sort of shaping our interaction with the earth without shaping our interaction with each other? Um, I went... And as always, whenever that happens, people get left behind, people get left to the borders, to the, to the undercommons, to the sidelines. As we headed deeper into LS9, our surroundings very much did feel like the sidelines of a city. Of course, every city has its outskirts, but in this part of town, you cross from the familiar to the unfamiliar in just a few paces. It's almost like a fine line has been drawn to demarcate one place from another. As we kind of walk through here, and obviously treading in the footsteps that you've, you've, the journey that you've made many times, mm. like how has this experience of growing up here influenced your work creatively? Um, you say? There's this idea of like work in progress um, um, that I've always thought of. So, as a poet in a digital age, we have a lot more freedom in poetry in, in terms of like nothing needs ever be completed because we're writing it on on Microsoft Word and we're saving it on Dropbox, we'd always go back and edit it. Uh-huh. We're not writing it on paper and, you know, that's it unless I have to, like, scribble it all out and start again kind of thing. Um, so I've always been interested or approached my poetry from the position that, like, I can always change it and it never needs to be completed. Mm-hmm. So for me, poetry has never... Um, on, until it's published, poetry has always existed in a state of perpetual being and not being shaping and unshaping, that kind of thing. Um, and I suppose that approach to writing, to sort of, you know, not finishing things, <laughs> has been somewhat influenced by this understanding of um, life as a continuous sort of making um you know we don't we don't we, we don't um do we're just doing mm. all mm. our lives um yeah moving between yeah states constantly, constantly moving between states yeah yeah um never being in a 
we're not we're not finished products yeah. um, in life generally. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's an Octavia Butler quote: "Everything you touch, you change." So as part of like, if I'm writing something and I don't feel that it's completed or finalized, and I go back to edit it, the reason why I'm editing it, the edits I make, you know, that changes the poem, but it also changes myself and my interaction with that poem. So like, so you, you, you maybe don't feel that you're defined by anything. You, you're kind of evolving all the time. Is that something you're yeah, saying? Yeah, conscious of? Yeah, yeah, because as I make my journey through this area every day, and this area is always changing, I change as well. Like if the area stayed the same and I was making the same journey, the area yeah. wouldn't impact me personally, more so than me passing through it. But because I'm passing through it and that's also in a period of change, I change even more so as I pass through it. If not your upbringing and, and kind of sense of home, like what anchors you as a, as a performer, as a poet, as a creative person? Um, I think the themes that influence me, I just sort of the things that influence my life in general. Um, I, and those, those always change. There are some constants, like sort of race, class, um, gender, sexuality, things that are okay. me personally, um, education, the things I've learned, the things I've studied, um, and my personal interests, particularly around like um, decolonization, liberation, um, the black radical tradition and how that fits into the arts. So, um, you know, that, that amalgamation of various things mm -hmm. that defines sort of the poetry I like and the poetry I write and the poetry I enjoy. Yeah. So the likes of Nicky Giovanni and James Baldwin, writers like those um, are inspired by those things from within me on a personal level. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's a case of me not being grounded by my upbringing. I suppose my upbringing defines who I am and the place I exist in within the world, and that in turn defines my writing. But because there are so many things that influence where I exist in the world, there are so many things beyond where I can list that also influence my writing. So have you kind of walked around these, these streets uh, yeah. as a, like a younger, write a creative thinker and, and sort of absorbed any creative material from walking around here like do you do that yeah so landscape poetry or poetry relating to the land itself is not really my forte or my interest but in terms of inspiration i definitely do get it when walking through this area not because it relates to anything that's happening in my immediate vicinity but because you know when you're walking in somewhere that you know so well at the back of your hand that you don't even have to think about it. And it becomes like a meditative state, so to speak, that I'm just sort of like untethered from the earth in a way. I'm doing something that, you know, is engaging me, my mind and my body, because, you know, I, I still have to be aware, you know, crossing the road and stuff, um, knowing where I'm going. So there's a certain level of self-awareness that is generated from making these journeys. Um, but then, I'm also able to reflect on things within me a lot more as well because I don't have to dedicate as much time to my, as much mental capacity to my immediate vicinity. Um, I think I wrote one of my, I want to say most famous poems, uh, My Dad's Back. I got the inspiration for quite a lot of it 
on that walk we just did but you know in reverse uh -huh. going from my parents house um to uni um and i think i was thinking about i want to write a poem that's very sort of um you know that's that's punchy you know that rhymes a lot and you know has a rhythm to it and then i was just listening to music and i was doing the walk and you know i had the intention and like i said i had a certain level of self-awareness from the necessity of my situation and yeah, I just died. I got my phone out, started typing. I'd even have to look up and stuff like cross the road every now and then. And then, yeah, I just made some notes from that. My Dad's Back is Black is one of Taiwo's best known poems. I've heard him perform it a couple of times at different spoken word events. It starts like this. My Dad's Back is Black. My dad has a black back. Moreover, my dad has a bad black back, but my dad's bad black back did never make him bend over backwards. You can watch Chaiwa perform this poem if you search for My Dad's Back is Black on YouTube, which I would definitely recommend that you do. There's, there's something I'm, I'm just realising here when I was driving in. There's a lot of roadworks going on. I think they're lasting at least a couple of years. Mm. So even to get from one part of the city centre to another, you have to go take like a top two mile round trip yeah. and therefore see areas that you would never have yeah. seen before potentially. Yeah. I feel like many, many people will be seeing seeing kind of the buildings down the street, kind of industrial buildings, residential buildings that they've never previously seen. Mm. And like, because they're forced to make that journey. Yeah. I wonder what they think when they, shall we go up this way? Oh, actually, um, I think there's was an underpass here. It's very poignant. Uh, I'm getting something. Uh, yeah, it's a bit gross. I mean, but uh, graffiti is pretty cool in here. Uh, yeah, it's a sort of mosaic mm. kind of colors. Cause that's kind of like, Bermontoff's pottery and mm. pottery history around here, right? Oh, yeah. I, like, I think an underpass in itself is, uh, you know, the, the places that people are conscious of, mm. aren't they? Like, for positive and negative reasons, I suppose. But, like, I feel like there's a lot of stories in an underpass. I don't know. Like, people who use them quite regularly, people who meet there, and there's kind of a whole... They're associated, I guess, with kind of a, a, an underbelly kind of vibe. Yeah, and I think this underbelly vibe is very relevant for these as well, to be honest. I got robbed on this road once. <laughs> on this uh, very road? Yeah, we, did, well, we didn't get robbed, we almost got robbed. We were coming back from okay. um, high school in Seacroft, me and a few friends of mine who went to the same primary school as me, just up the road here. Um, so Raymond and I we went to the same primary school and then we went to Agnes Stewart together. And then we went to David Young at Seacroft. Anyways, we got oh. the bus back from school to uh, Bermondhoff, to the bottom of the road. And then we're walking up this side to come across here, rather than taking the long way, across the bottom yeah. and taking the long way up. And then we walked past the bus up at the bottom, and then we started walking up. And there wasn't a cycle lane at the time, so we had to sort of walk on the road. <laughs> um, and then we just heard some people yelling oi behind us some guys have been on the bus stop so we were like 13 14 these guys were like 17 18 and like four or five of them big difference yeah uh, and there was three of us like six or seven of them oh. and they started chasing us so we just legged it um the lights were green 
um, green to go. So you ran across the road, and in the last turn, red. I don't know the car started going. So oh, wow. yeah, yeah, it was really, it was really a sip, but I like so kind of fate, moment. Fate, fate, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Wow, held that in the balance feet. Yeah, there. and and that's one of those Mental things, thing. like. Yeah. You're just like lights change and that changes you because who knows what yeah, happened, you know. It's like the, on the sl sliding the, doors type yeah, of thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, the side like, of the roads, the busy traffic, getting chased. <laughs> if not for the lights, we don't know what of them. We'd that's a great story. continue running up the road or taking the underpass. And you know, if you get caught in the underpass, well, no one's going to hear you when you get robbed, are they? I suppose these streets riddled with different emotions you've had over the years, like. Yeah. Fear and, and probably exhilaration when you realise you had fatigue, got away with it. going to school. Shall we yeah. go further up? There's a really nice path. Okay, which yeah. I yeah, think it's still there. That, that goes past my old primary school, actually. Okay. Yeah. It's got a nice smell of baking just then. Yeah. yeah. Did you get yeah. that? Yeah. That building, that red building there is the bakery. That's something that's ah. stayed constant, country style. Really? Um, yeah. Um, since we moved to Easton Park. Um, so that's, that's a nice sort of. Um, marker for the community i suppose this is like a, a sort of play park but yeah the it was the one sort of a playground here or yeah. it feels like this should sort the, i of think the, be. i think i think i vaguely remember that it might have been like hills and stuff oh. no i mean there are hills i mean um swings and stuff um on yeah. this field here but uh -huh. obviously it's not here anymore but yeah it was definitely a play park at a point um I, I didn't take advantage of it when I was younger because, um, I mean, it's LS9, no one really sort of plays out. Um, it, it, it was a very um, notorious area at a point. We even had a BBC documentary on Panorama. Um, right. They were talking about the EEP boys, EEP. Uh, <laughs> oh. It was um, a local gang. Um, what, who, who, whose term was that? Um, so BBC called it the EEP boys. That was from them. Yeah, they came up with. Because they saw the EEP and they thought it meant EEP, but we called it EEP for Eastern Park. Ah, you know what I mean, so they called God. it. Yeah. You think they'd just sort of ask someone? Yeah, oh, well. how, how do you pronounce this? <laughs> and it's a windy and day. I, I suppose even that documentary itself was evidence of the establishment not really wanting to engage with the community and just sort of imposing itself upon us. Um, you know, coming to coming to the neighbourhood to interview the Eep boys because they were apparently a notorious gang. But it was just young people, you know, tagging EEP because, like, we're in Eastern Park and young people aren't do graffiti. So what do you, what do you, what do you write about? Well, I'm in Eastern Park. I'll just write EEP in the coolest way I can. Yeah. Um, and there was there was crime. There was antisocial behaviour orders and stuff like that. But it doesn't mean that there was a formalised gang. It was no, just no. a community that stuck together and existed together. Um, groups of boys whose parents and grandparents had grown up together, hanging out together. So the BBC thought, oh, there's a gang here. You know, there's violence. That's the narrative. There's, yeah, there's violence. There's boys doing stuff. Must be a gang. There's graffiti. So they came over with their cameras. They're like, all right, tell us about the Eat Boys. Um, and the interview, the documentary itself was ridiculous. I remember going to school after Ed and just absolutely everyone just laughing about the Eep Boys and the Eep Boys became the thing for about two weeks and then we all got over it. Channel 4 did Seven Days of the Breadline down the road in Bermontofs. Um and that was also more sort of poverty porn. And so they had the narrative and they were just looking yeah. for some images to, yeah, to yeah, illustrate that. Yeah, 
Uh, and the thing is, we're just going to feed these narratives to other working class people across the country um, to make them feel better about their own working class um, and accept their own working class realities and mm. how disenfranchised they were through these narratives to say, oh, there are people who are even worse than you are. Um, so, you know, you should be grateful for what little you do have. So, I think LS9, Eastern Park has always been the sort of the butt of the joke by least city council in a way. And it's yeah. really, it's really bad. So, so, like, has that sense of injustice come through in your work? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, I've, I've always been, um, I guess, I guess my, my, my consciousness in a very anti-capitalist way did generate from growing up in this area. Um, and that has also sort of reflected in my work. I never really write in favour of, like, I can't write a poem that is meaningless. <laughs> Yeah. As much as I try, I have to either speak to the self or speak to the world. And the aspects of my poetry that do speak to the world are very radical, pro-black, anti-capitalist kind of poems because of my experience growing up in this area. Poetry has to speak to the self or speak to the world. I'm constantly asking myself why I write and others why they write because I find it fascinating how this purpose is different for each and every person. We define our own meaning behind the messages we put out there through our words. And I think it's important to be conscious of that. Yeah, let's keep going. Again, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty cool 1902 building with like a nice sort of spire corner. How can you tell? The, oh, it's the says there, 1902 off. as well. Yeah, down there, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, just no. It's just from 1902, you know, that's just... Oh. It's that type of brick, you know? It started oh. just from that very specific, yeah, I just knew that. Oh. <laughs> nothing to do with the fact that... <laughs> I actually that, believed you just now. Nothing to do <laughs> with the fact that... The fact that it's got 1902 cap. Yeah, the 1903 bricks were a yeah. bit more... They were a bit red, a bit more red. Yeah, I uh, see, I see. <laughs> but yeah, that is like such an old building. These streets are like so old, like... <laughs> They've seen so many things, and there was there was actually a poem that I wrote about um, about this area. Um, Where we are now? Yeah, in this corner. Okay. Yeah, talking about whose streets are these? Um, how many of your alleyways have not seen timeless deaths and rebirths? How many times have you not passed out on the corner of not on the corner on the side? of um, something something only to be reawakened and re-emerge with the same fire that burned you last night or something something like that was yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's another work in progress poem that has been for a few years but I might I might go back and finish it now um, but there, yes. there, there was definitely a point of a point in my writing when I was reflecting more about the almost it feels like eternal nature of being downtrodden but then also not looking at it in a deficit kind of way because there, is, there are assets, there are things, there are so many things which are necessary about East Park, about LS9 that this city would not be able to do without. It has so much to offer I think, um, not least like myself and my family that were raised here. Um, my theory about the city is centred though, um, so if you go into Leeds from the train station um, I mean, most young people, most students come in either by car or by train, mm. uh, very few by bus. But even then, um, if you're coming from a train station, to get towards um, the university, the University of Leeds, 
you go straight north through the financial and legal district um, you go past the financial legal district and then you come out on the hedgerow um, you've got the library on one side you've got um, city hall on the other side you've got um, millennium square um, and then you've got civic hall you've got the museum you've got this huge um, cultural area um, cultural culture and arts area um, and then you walk up and get to the university you go past Becker, you go past Rose Bowl you get to the University of Leeds and then you're in the, the centre of the student experience basically mm. um, you go further north, you get Head in the you get Hyde Park as well which is locally a working class area but it's full of students so if you're not from Leeds when you come into Leeds you're immediately hit by all the beautiful expensive huh. things you're hit by the financial and legal sector and the culture and arts and all that stuff if you if you get coming via the bus station normally you would have seen all the downtrodden areas all the closed buildings around the Quarry Hill area or just social housing many years back but now you have the college you have all the work that's been done in that area um, you have the playhouse you have the another sort of mini art center sector so it feels to me like there's a really concerted effort in the redesigning of the city center to hide the reality of it like where we are now is just such yeah. a stone's throw away from yeah. the city center and my fear is that in order to continue to hide how much or, or rather how little they're doing for um, people in like LS9 and Eastern Park they're just going to continue to mm. build the city centre over their homes um, like they have been doing and it's you know people come to Leeds and like why it's such a you know it's in the north but you know it's such a up and coming city there's so much wealth and that's the narrative beauty yeah and that's the narrative that has been constructed by the layout of the city centre and it's sort of it's the same sort of ideology same sort of um, capitalist aesthetic that you know led to the police chasing and killing David Oluwale wanting to hide the hide the reality of Leeds under the beauty of the city centre David Oluwale was last seen fleeing two police officers on April 18th 1969 he was later found drowned in the River Air. his death led to the first prosecution of British police for the involvement in the death of a black person. It was the first recorded incident of police racism. In 2019, an event called Remember Oluwale was held to mark the 50th anniversary of his death. Taiwo performed at the event, which highlighted the continuing struggle for social justice in Leeds and beyond. Paul White gift wrap greetings yeah. card stationery. There's a lot of like unique businesses in this area. <laughs> So you've got a plastic stockholding warehouse here. Um, so it's really interesting because you've, you've got the you've got all that residential area there. And I think what happened, so you've got the really, really old buildings, the old mills and stuff like that that we saw. Yeah. And then I suppose what happened is there was a phase of regeneration. Diversification which, yeah, of industry. Yeah, early capitalism, I suppose, yeah. um, which led to this small area of like warehouses 
so you've got this. It's quite specific and unique mm -hmm. businesses that you don't see, like you said, greetings cards. Yes, pet supplies, center. pet centre. It's, it's a weird, really weird, strange mix. But yeah, it's kind of different, different professionals and, and different expertise yeah. you get here. I mean, um, you wouldn't really meet someone out networking here. No, you would it's not. It's a big career change, really. <laughs> yeah, and very specific. I think unless you were like doing like congratulations uh, cards on your new pet and you wanted to yeah, wholesale them, um, yeah. that's the only business, specific yeah. business that you would get a lot oh, of. Oh, and I love. Here. I've been. I've been down. I think we've, we've even talked about it. Fast signs. Fast signs. Yeah. More than fast. More than signs. More than signs. Yeah. Okay. So what is it then? You know, like. And okay, this it's is more than fast. More than signs. So you're kind of criticising the brand name. With, yeah. With the strap line. There. And you know, it's a it's a, it's a sign company, but a sign itself is ineffective to tell you about what a sign company does. Now this Jaguar Center, that's new. I've not seen that before. Jaguar, so yeah, it's a, a garage for yeah. Jags and stuff. That, that's Apple. kind of a, it seems, seems like, a, again, a bit of a... I mean, it's a, a franchise, probably. Independent garage and just... And does it bring franchise. people who own Jags to this part of town for the first time? Well, there's two... Well, there's a Fiat in it, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And there's a really nice old Jaguar outside it. But yeah, it's a new... So like I said, I've not walked through this area in a while, or this side of it in a while. Um, but yeah, these buildings used to be closed down entirely. Um, this mm -hmm. building here was closed down, um, but then it became a church that a lot of my cousins went to. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, Deep Life Bible Church. Uh, mm. It's not open right now, it's Friday. Um, mm. What used to happen, what used to happen yeah, was, But it's kind of inspiring that there's a church yeah. there and then that's, that means so much, like yeah. that building means so much. I, I used to be a church that served like, a lot of like, LS9 and stuff. Uh, but then another church opened across the road. I think they have beef. Um, ah. Safer store storage, my sisters stored some stuff in there when they moved back to Leeds after uni. I don't know what's going on next to Fast Signs. That building was a church that opened That's up. That's the Faster Signs, I believe. Faster Signs. Opening up <laughs> next door. Yeah. Kind of concrete shell structure of a building. Yeah, and but that and again is just more of a shows more of like, like nothing. There's no. There, there's never been any sort of permanence in this neighbourhood. Like, I, uh, it's kind of ad hoc. Kind of yeah. you get a lease for like few years mm. to you own the building you own the right to rent the building for like five years and then yeah. you might move on build the business might go bankrupt or whatever mm. or you might look for bigger premises or whatever this is actually coincidentally the the building that i took a picture of where it's actually the photo for this podcast ah. i don't know if you saw that on the front of it yeah it's looked closer and it's this building i just realized but I, this this is even more kind of ripped apart than, mm. than it was when I took that picture which was only like six months ago wow. so yeah you can see all the stairways and yeah. ima imagine the kind of interactions that happen on stairways mm. there it's all quite visible it's like kind of a yeah naked building I guess isn't yeah. it yeah you, you can see right through it I think it's interesting like because all so many buildings in this area have just like taken on so many different identities um, I've been interacted with in different ways. Well, except for the fast size building. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's constantly been fast and science. <laughs> or modern, faster, modern science, so to speak. And then the kind of monolith of 
quarry house, not well, government building where there might be big union flag flying. Soon, yeah, yeah, they're gonna put a union flag on every government building. So yeah, there'll be a huge one there. You'd imagine. Yeah, and I just like I think it's just such a great initiative. You know, flying the flag is gonna do so much for fighting child poverty, um, for fighting coronavirus. Yeah, it's just I'm so excited by it, and obviously this is all sarcasm. I think it's a ridiculous display of proto-nationalism. Yeah. But um, you know what's new, and just to confirm, your podcast sure. isn't partisan, is it? No, it's, it's whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's no, a lot no, of Tory bashing happening. It isn't. I guess. I guess we've kind of spoken to poets that are kind of on the more sort of activist mm. end of the spectrum and then we've spoken to poets who are a bit more yeah who, who more talk about the beauty of nature and stuff and mm. it, it largely depends where they live I think because mm. at some place we've come here which obviously is, is where you grew up and where, and where you like you say big part of your upbringing and, and consciousness yeah because I think if you lived out in the, the countryside you might yeah you, you totally wouldn't have, have like well, develops you might not think in the same way, like mm. that kind of perspective that we've obviously explored today. Yeah, precisely. Um, and I think, yeah, you get different emotions, and I guess like it's it's kind of like yeah, injustice and, and anger, I suppose, uh, that manifests itself in in Very poetry. Very subtle ways, yeah, in ways that I didn't even know. I think it's just like, like I said, those ten years or. Um, 20 years now, even of yeah. 29, well, maybe like 18 years total. Mm. Um, eight to nine years walking down York Road to high school and seeing all that, and another eight to nine years walking yeah. through Marsh Lane and this side of Quarry Hill, or this side of uh, Marsh Lane rather, um, and seeing all this, your know, daily impact of seeing these things, of seeing the transformation, of the little learnings that happened over time that, you know, ultimately accumulated in my formation. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, having a huge bucket and adding like a drop every day. You know, you don't notice that a bucket gets filled, but it does get filled. I mean, that's sort of where it is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, up until sort of reflecting on it myself, like I've done today. Um, I suppose I take it for granted just how significant. Yeah, yeah. So is is poetry for you a kind of journalism in a way? Like it's a way of documenting and 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 finding your voice and expressing that perspective. Yeah. Well, I hope I want it to be. Um, I think yeah, poetry as journalism is definitely um, a aim of my writing. Whilst the um, the content is there, <laughs> the style not as much and I think that's what I'm learning or that's what I'm trying to develop yeah, my yeah. poetry to go next. So like, I guess unlike me, for example, and unlike other poets and similar to, you know, everyone, everyone's different obviously, mm. like you're, you are yourself and your experience is first mm. and the poetry is a way of, of expressing that, whereas yeah. other, like, for me, I feel like I'm a, a poet first, mm. and like I'm often like, oh, okay, what do I write about now? And so, what, what, how do I play? How to deconstruct language? That, that's mm. kind of my focus. 
So no, it definitely seems apparent that like yeah, the the, the poetry is a way of expressing yeah. and channeling that yeah. perspective and, and actually bringing it to the fore, making other people aware of it like in a profound yeah. way. Many of the episodes of Look Closer focused on creative people and their processes. We've not often gone into depth about people's lives and backstories as much as we've focused on what inspires them in the here and now. For me, this conversation with Tyro has illuminated the connections between how someone's background and experiences can shape their perspective, giving them the fire and the purpose to create their work, and in turn, influence the perspective of others. Writing is as much about empathy, truth and understanding as it is about raw creative talent. I really have to like get the essence right first. Like I said, with everything being a work in progress, what I intend to stay with a poem. Um, this is a challenge with, with like my approach to writing, that and the reason why I have such low output, I never get anything finished. Like, why I tend to stay when I initially start writing the piece. When I come back to it, like two, three months later, I'm like, oh, I want to say something else in this piece. Yeah. So I change it, um, and then you know, I go away, and then I change, and I go back to the poem, yeah. and because I've changed, the poem has to change. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so it's, yeah. really, it's really difficult for me to finish a poem. You keep um, reacting and mm, responding to, to what you've written. Mm, uh, yeah, it's a never-ending yeah, reaction, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think I just need to like, find a month or something where I have nothing else to do. I'm not leaving the house. I'm not changing this month. I'm just going to finish all these poems and put them away. I'm like, good, they're finished. They are oh. a marker of who I am and where I was at a certain time and date um, in this certain place. Yeah, yeah. And, you know put out a collection as that um, time and place and say that is that is Taiwo then and there. Yeah. Um, I then move on to the next time and place of completion of poems. So, so when you are sort of tweaking the poems, revisiting them, is that in in terms of quality, you're like refining the quality of the poem in your eyes or is it kind of bringing new elements to it that you didn't see when you started it? Both, both. Because there is a... Well, quality less so. Because... I don't know, it, it's changed. I suppose in my early days... In my early days as a writer... Um, I focused a lot more on my quality as a writer. You know, I'd never written before, so I had all the ideas, all the context, everything I wanted to write about. So those ideas needed less refining more so than the quality. But then after a while, I'd written about everything I wanted to write about. And right. I'd taken my writing to a certain level of quality. In terms of growing as a writer, I've more been like um, collecting experiences and contexts, and more inspiration from my writing and taking those things down. Um, and then once I've gotten all this context, all these subjects, um, then I'll go back and build myself as a writer and then put that into refining those contexts and then making poems nice. out of them. And every now and then okay. within the process, I have a poem that I'm like, oh, I'm happy with that. I put it out of there, or I put it aside, that's finished. Um, but largely, that's the main reason why um, I have such low output because I don't, I don't just write a poem, I write a collection in a go or... Like a... a Concepts, concepts, yeah. Numerous yeah. parts of the one, one whole. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's one journey. Everything, everything, everything is linked, and it is like you know, 
looking out the minute changes in between things, how one thing happens because of the change is something that has been contacted with. Um, all of that area, all of LS9 that I walked through, all the stories there are intertwined and they are linked with the stories in the city centre and larger stories about the people in the city centre and in LS9. And that's it for this edition of Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. Thanks very much to my special guest, Taiwo Oganyinka, who took us on a creative adventure around East End Park and LS9. And that's a wrap on the first series of Look Closer, the Found Fiction podcast. Thank you very much to everyone who's followed us, literally, on the journeys we've taken. We've had some inspiring conversations with many artists, poets, writers, as we've explored places of significance to them. We've been in Leeds, Manchester, Sheffield, York, Halifax, and everywhere in between, and we've made some amazing discoveries along the way. We're looking forward to exploring even more places in the next series, but before that we're taking a break for a few months to focus on other projects, like our street literature event You Are Here, which we'll be launching in August. Remember to hit subscribe so you know exactly when new episodes are released, and please email us at hello at foundfiction.org if you have any suggestions for the show. Thanks for listening to Look Close at the Found Fiction podcast. That's it for this time. Until next time, stay positive, connected and kind.